Good morning, good morning. Yes, there are millions of children, eh? Shapers. Look, there's a bunch of Mandels here as well. That's intimidating, frightening. Friends, just felt like we just need to go straight into what I felt in God to share this morning and uh, we'll do the announcements and the offerings and whatever at the end if we get to that. And um, I had a moment of ministry this week with a man. He's a big man. He's got a big heart. He's got a very generous heart. He thinks big. And um, a chain of events led him to coming and sitting in my office and just talking about what happened to him when he was five years old. Which is what's given rise to this preach. And I've realized it's so huge. Probably going to dwell on here a little bit longer over the next few weeks. But what had happened was, is he was abused as a young boy. And most of his life, he's battled with anxiety. Although big, although strong in personality, character, battled with anxiety. And this week, he was just overwhelmed with life. And he phoned me and I, I, I heard in his voice, this, this, is, this, this, is, this needs attention now. So I met with him and he told me what had happened to him. And I realized this, is that from that moment when he was abused as a little boy, he had carried shame all his life. And so a very generous man. From the outside, you'd think absolutely phenomenal. These, you need more of these kinds of people, and we do. The reality is God's given him a big heart, a big heart. But I realized on that day Whenever he was generous, the five-year-old boy was being generous, trying to prove who he was in God, rather than the 50-year-old man who he had grown up to be. You understand that? He, it's like, and I realized shame is a profound thing. So I started digging a bit, started reading a bit, started reading the scriptures. And I realize this is a big thing. So Genesis chapter 2 goes like this. The Lord God, in verse 22 of chapter 2, the Lord God made woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman and she was take, as for she was taken out of man. 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So the original intent of God was a humanity that could be naked, physically undressed, vulnerably undressed, emotionally undressed, spiritually undressed, and have no shame. Problem is that's not the end of the story. A little bit further down, a serpent enters the garden Now the serpent, chapter three, was more crafty than any of the wild animals of the Lord, the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Do, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees of the garden, but the God did say we must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Listen, the Lord is all-knowing. He knew where he was. He didn't ask that question for his sake. He asked that question for Adam's sake. Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? Then the man said, the woman you put me here, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Humanity was created to be naked without shame. They went on their own and thought they could do it without God and they were ended up with nakedness and shame. Shame enters the garden enters human hearts in that moment. They're hiding. They're running away from God. Where are you, Adam? Hiding. You see, what shame does is it makes us hide. A little bit later on, he says, but the woman you gave me, gave it to me. What shame does, it blames others. So it's never my problem, it's always somebody else's problem. From that day on, friends, humanity has been hiding. Men and women have been hiding. Hiding from God, hiding from each other, wearing masks to church. Everything's good, but actually deep inside, there's shame. And unfortunately, because of this incident, incidents, the doctrine of original sin, everybody's born with that shame. 
Somehow the childlikeness of a child gets them through the shame. They, but as they begin to get older, the shame starts to rear its ugly head. Revelation chapter 19. Verse 13 says this. So that's what happened in the beginning of the book. This is what happens at the end of the book. Verse 13. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood. Talking about Jesus. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him riding on white horses dressed in fine linen and white and clean. In the beginning of the book, they're finding fig leaves to cover themselves with, cover themselves to hide. God eventually takes an animal, slaughters it, and covers them. At the end of the book, at the end of the book, the, woman, the, 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 the people of God are not hiding. In fact, they're dressed in white linen, purity, no shame under the lordship of the man who's covered in blood and his name is the word of God. All of us start here in different measures and through our life experiences, what happens is shame gets multiplied in our lives. But the intent of God through the man who was covered in blood, he's called the word of God, is to dress us in fine white linen. In purity, no shame. In between, God creates a priesthood. And in that priesthood, He tailors their clothes. You know why He tailors their clothes? It's because they don't have to be naked with shame with Him. So Beth reads out this morning out of Zechariah. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right side, ready to accuse him. Oh my gosh, does the enemy have ammo to accuse us when we're walking in shame? If you had no shame, it would be, get off me. But because we carry shame, even the words of the enemy matter in our mind. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Amazing thing, friends, is God is always fighting for us. They get chased out of the garden. They get chased out of the garden. See, sh- They get chased out of the garden. The thing is, is God pursues them out of the garden. He chases them. He chases after them. To the point where he catches them, forms a people, and ultimately forms an army wearing white clothes. On white horses. Pure. Shameless. Shame-free. Ready to do what God's will is. All we've got to do 
is turn around and God's face is right in us. The Lord says, rebuke you, Satan. Keep quiet. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. It is not, the, this is this man, not a burning snake snatched from the fire. See, the reason we're going to get to it, but the reason why we don't carry shame is because we have been chosen. He didn't love you because you were special. He just loved you. He didn't love you because you had some characteristic. He just loved you. He created you. He's your father. He loves you. He chose you. Ashina spoke about the choosing of a bride or a bridegroom. Verse 3, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. I want to suggest to you, friends, those filthy clothes that he wears are shame. There's a difference between shame and guilt. Western culture understands guilt because we live in a legal society, a Roman legal system. And so when we come before Jesus, we understand that he's forgiven me of my sin. But that's he's dealt with your guilt. That's the penalty of sin. He deals with the penalty of sin with his own blood. The problem is, friends, that's half the story. It's not just the penalty of sin that Jesus died for. It's the power of sin that he came to take hold of and rip away. And that power of sin, friends, is called shame. They left the garden with it. And shame does an extraordinarily powerful, horrible, detrimental things in our lives. Take off your shame, Joshua. If you are full of shame as the high priest, what are my people going to do? Take it off. Then he said to Joshua, see, I've taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. There we go again. They're naked with cowering in the corner. On this end, dressed in white robes, majestically riding on white horses. You see, God is already reclothing us. Not with shame, but with his purity, with his innocence, with his life. Somebody said this, if you don't recognize your shame before people, but also before God, they said this, if you They said this, if you don't claim your shame, your, claim, your shame will claim you. If you don't claim your shame, you don't recognize your shame, you don't own your shame, it will claim you all of your life. And just as about you're about to leap, take your legs from underneath of you. It's insidious. It's under, it's, it's, it's the inner work. 
In shame cultures like Eastern cultures, they understand shame. Safe face, shame cultures. But often in our cultures, we don't see that. He says, yeah, take off your clothes. I've taken away your sin and I'll put fine garments on you. There'll be no shame on you. You will stand as the mediator between me and the people without shame. Then I put a fine turban on his head. You see, you, 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 what you're doing is you're giving, you, it's, he's dressing him. He's, he's tailoring his clothes so that people can see this is a man without shame. Because he wants to serve a God that doesn't want us to have shame. Friends, shame is a very powerful tool in the enemy's hand. What is shame? Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did or something done to you or something associated with you and you feel exposed and humiliated. You feel exposed and humiliated. And when you see the arc of Scripture, shame is depicted with these three things. Nakedness, you're exposed. You're uncovered. You're unclean. Doesn't matter how much you wash your hands, you never get clean. The psychological disorders associated with this. And then you're an outcast. You never belong anywhere. You become a wanderer. Cain, after he had killed his brother, was told you'll be a restless wanderer. Unstable. Can't fit anywhere. And then what we do is we say, no, I am an introverted person, so actually I don't do that. Friends, your problem is not introverted. The problem is shame. What is it? Sometimes it's not some one big thing that happens to you. It's a, it's, a, it's a few things that accumulate. Shame is different to embarrassment, friends. Embarrassment you can get over. Shame is deep. Shame is deep. You see, you can sin. Not all sins bring shame. So you can get angry at your wife and not bring shame to you. But you can bring angry to your wife and then hit your wife. Shame. Get it? This is so big. I've got so much to say. I'm just trying to introduce this to us so that we can begin to go on a journey with God where we can become a shame-free people, dressed in white linen, doing the work of God. Guilt has got to do with the courtroom where your eyes are fixed on the judge and his pronouncement of guilty or not guilty. And we understand that Jesus died for our sin and paid the price for our guilt. You stand alone before Jesus and acknowledge your guilt and say, Father, forgive me. And he forgives you because of Jesus.
problem is, we don't just need rescue from our sin. We need covering because of our nakedness. We need inclusion because of our outcastness. And we need cleansing because we're unclean and contaminated. And if you stop at Jesus forgives you of your sin, what happens is, you know, you know the word sanctify is to make holy. Sanctify means to make holy. I'm convinced more and more of this. The sanctification process, we make holy, is the ruthless eradication of shame in our lives and all its effects. Often, uh, Tim Keller used to say this, you've got to look at the sin beneath the sin. In other words, we sin, we do wrong things. What we've got to look at, we've got to look at the idol. What is the idol under? What's the idol we're worshipping? I want to ask us another question, an even deeper question. What is the shame that we, are, that we are carrying that's forcing us to take hold of an idol that's promising so much so that we end up in sin? Because shame tries to justify itself, tries to get rid of itself. It knows it's wrong. Isn't it incredible? When somebody has done something wrong, we know instinctively this. When we don't agree with people, with what they're saying or what they, you know, kind of what they're going to do. Why is it that we don't just have a conversation around, I don't agree with you for this and this reason? We always take it down to, yeah, but look at what kind of person you are. The conversation becomes around, what we do is we try to put shame on them to undermine them. Bring the shame out. We instinctively know that's the weakness. You see, shame has got to do not with the courtroom, but with the public square. Public opinion of who we are and what's inside of us. That's why shame, Rene Brown said this, shame needs three things to, co to exist. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. In that environment, shame flourishes. You don't say anything to anybody hoping they're never going to find out. Silence. Secrecy, don't tell anybody. This is under the shadows. And then an environment of judgment. Where that is, shame flourishes. All of its horrible children that it gives birth to. You know disgrace? You know the word disgrace? That means shame. It comes from the Italian word dis and grazia. Grace. Dis means opposite. Disgrace means the opposite of grace. So if you want to get rid of disgrace, you need to be in an environment of grace. Judgment always keeps the lid on shame. comes because our parents have rejected us in some way. Maybe. 
comes from violent acts of evil that we've experienced. It comes from any sexual sin. Any sexual sin, friends. Remember, sexual sin is the one sin that you commit against your own body. You violate the, the boundary that God was given for sexuality to be with a husband and a wife. As soon as you violate that, shame comes in. Any sexual sin that you do and has, that has been done to you, you end up carrying shame. Today, God is going to start to deal with our shame. Humiliation. Humiliation. I remember as a young, at high school, thinking about this, this suddenly came back to me. I went to Hillcrest High School, boys and girls school, co-ed school. I don't know, I must have been in grade nine or grade 10, maybe grade nine. And we had assembly. And... Uh, I don't know, something happened and I was talking to a mate or one of, anyway, there was like three or four of us in a row. And in front of the whole school, the head boy called me up. And I had to stand in front of the school and sing. Humiliation. Humiliation means you're naked and very ashamed. Any form of humiliation could be a root of shame. Never belonging. Remember, shame has this outcastness. If you were unclean, you weren't allowed to be with the people. You were net to be outside the camp. If you feel like you never belong. And then what happens is, friends, your church is clicky, there's no friends. Actually, God, where are you? I need friends. Where are you, Lord? I want to suggest to you, Get before God and say, God, where is my shame? Where's my shame? I feel like I don't belong. It feels like it never comes right for me. Lord, what is this? Shame hides under many guises in our Western world. The greatest one that it hides under is self-esteem. So we're going on self-esteem courses when we should be going on a shame-free course. shameful person never thinks they're good enough. A shameful person never thinks they've done enough. A shameful person never thinks they're worthy enough. A shameful person thinks they're a slave or an orphan. Shame hides under, I feel different to others. The tragedy of the racial tensions in this country, friends, is it's bringing shame on everybody. I want to suggest this boldly, that black pain is actually shame. And white guilt is actually shame. Shame is facing shame, fighting each other, killing each other, assassinating each other, other than looking to the one who releases you of your shame. When a race group gets told that they are useless, that they're below animals, they start to believe it. Shame enters. And then that shame 
knocks onto more shame because then there's no families, there's no fathers, there's just shame after shame. And then there's sexual abuse within the family and it's just shame upon shame upon shame upon shame until eventually it explodes. We're in that place right now in this country. But we can be a shame-free people. When you associate yourself as a Nazi or a German because of what you did to the Jews, you carry shame. And when you're a white South African and, or an Afrikaans, white South African, whatever, you, we, we carry shame. It's not racism, it's shame. God wants to rid us of our shame. Your family has lost everything. You went bankrupt. Poverty brings shame. You carry this as a little kid. Maybe as you watched other families doing their thing, but your family was bankrupt and your dad was bankrupt and it was just terrible and actually shame begins to come to bear. You already got shame in you and it just begins to build and fester more and more. What about failure? Failure can lead to shame. People that carry shame feel like they're frauds. This is especially true of successful people. Because successful people are sitting in this place and when they're carrying shame, they're thinking, when am I going to be exposed to who I'm actually, what I'm really like? It's going to actually happen. When is this going to actually happen to me? Shame. Rejection. Shame. Don't forget this. You're processing in God this word. The triad of shame. Nakedness, this is very important. Nakedness, uncleanness, and outcast. You're not accepted. You're unclean. You're not worthy. And you're naked. How do we start to unravel this deep shame that some of us don't even know we're carrying. And for some of us, it's nothing we did. It's what others have done to us or the context that we've been in. Like I said, Jesus pursued, God pursued the people out the garden. And he constantly asked them to turn back to him repentance it's a revelation it's a revelation of shame it's a revelation I need Jesus I don't just need him to forgive my sin I need him to take away my nakedness I need him to wash me clean I need him to put me into a family I need belonging amazing things um, shame has got to do with who you associated with that's why we like to name drop that's why we like to be with those others because that's it helps you get rid of your shame but I tell you what, friends, when you're associated with the name of Jesus, with the King of kings and Lord of lords, it changes our perspective. But you have to have a revelation of that. In the ark of the, of the, of the Bible, if you are unclean, if you are unclean, and you touch somebody that was clean, you made them unclean. You know that? 
So that's why the laws were in place. If you've touched a dead person, don't, you've got to go and cleanse. You've got to wait for a bit to get out there. And then when you've been cleansed, when you've been ritually cleansed, you can come back in because then you won't make everybody else unclean. So if you're unclean and you touch a clean person, and you had to be clean to be in the community. You had to be clean to be doing the things of God. You had to be clean. White, dressed in white. The problem is clean doesn't take away shame. You know the only way to take away shame is an unclean person. It's not just to touch somebody that's clean. It's to touch somebody that's holy. When an unclean person touches a holy person, they become clean. The Father had to send a holy person, a holy son, so that we would become like that woman with the issue of blood, going after him and just touching him. And when she touched him, he turned around and said, Virtue has left me, something's happened. Power has left my body. Who touched me? But Jesus, what do you mean? There's crowd job. No, but somebody's touched me. Somebody's, somebody's drawn power. Somebody's drawn honor, virtue out of me. Because an unclean person touched a holy person. The unclean person doesn't just become clean, they become holy. You want to deal with your shame. You've got to touch Jesus. I feel so tender. I feel like I'm a bit of an empath, like I can feel the shame in the room. Shame flourishes under silence, secrecy, and judgment. It's the only way you deal with shame. Guilt is, guilt is a moment before God, and you receive His forgiveness. Shame doesn't work like that. The process of starting it might work like that, but it is a process. Because shame is public opinion, and it's public, you have to deal with it in community. You want to get rid of your shame, friends. That's why God puts us in a family called the church. To get rid of shame, you need to confess. James talks about if you are sick, etc., etc., and then you need, to, you need to confess your sin and you'll be healed, he says, in James chapter 5. Realize, actually, maybe that sin was so shameful that it was affecting their whole bodies. And as soon as they were released of the shame, their bodies got healed. I don't know. But I know this shame, Brené Brown says, cannot stand being shared needs to be confessed. You can't just, it doesn't just go away on its own. It's not like forgiveness that's a moment in time before Jesus. It has to happen in community where people are vulnerable. It takes courage to be vulnerable. And I can tell you right now, friends, men especially battle with this. That's why so many men are caught up in pornography. Because your, your shame takes you to pornography, and the pornography takes you further into shame. 
Pornography is a pick-me-up. It promises to pick you up, and it does for a few minutes, and then drops you lower than where you were before. Because your shame, shame is now deepened. It, it needs vulnerability. It needs transparency. It needs it to be spoken out. And it needs an environment of not disgrace, but grace. To receive those words, to receive that place, and then to be able to speak life into it. wrote this, to deal with shame by being vulnerable and honest in a community environment of grace. Only way it gets dealt with. You cannot keep it in silence. Remember, silence, secrecy, and judgment is how it survives. You cannot keep silent, friends. I want to, by the Spirit of God, I'm saying, God, please, my prayer for us this morning is this, please, Jesus. Come upon us, give us the courage, give us the revelation that we can get free from shame. Because you're going to give us the courage to be vulnerable, to speak our shame out to people. Not publicly like this, but in groups, your friends, it needs to be shared. And as soon as you share it, the shame flees, white clothes. then our challenge for the rest of our lives is to not let our shame dictate our lives or the chaos of other people's lives bring shame to us. It's quite a contradiction that humiliation, shame, humiliation is defeated by humility. God gives grace to the humble. I know there's people sitting right now, as I'm talking, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you've had moments in your life. You need to get before God with some friends that you trust. That's what our our groups do. It enables us, it's the beginning little process of talking our story, sharing our shame with a group of men or women. It's quite interesting. Men and women deal with shame differently reading up on that, and I'm actually fascinated. You know why, I've, I'm going to end with this, you know why Isaiah 54 was put in the Bible? Because the people were full of shame and running amok. They disregarded their God. And so Isaiah comes, and he speaks this declaration to them. Remembering this, that a barren woman was a shameful person. If you're full of shame, Jesus is the God for you. He pursues those that are full of shame. The poor, the diseased, the tax collectors, the outcasts, the prostitutes. Jesus spends time with the shameful. Often people will say, oh, if Jesus was alive, he'd be in the middle of, of Cato Manor, one of these very poor areas. No, no, no. Jesus would be wherever shame exists. Because he wants to set you free. You weren't designed to carry shame. You were designed to be naked and have no shame. 
Listen to what Isaiah 54 says. Sing, barren woman. Remember, barrenness is a sign of shame. You who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy. You who are never in labor, because more of the children of the desolate, shameful woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. This is what happens when shame goes. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the left and to the right, and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. When people are over their shame, friends, they begin to conquer, they begin to take ground. Settle desolate cities, shameful cities, and make them places of life. Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. And remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. See who you associated with. The Lord God is his name. When you get a revelation that actually your shame before God is worse than your shame before people, you're on a big winning streak. Most of us don't do that. Your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called God of all the earth. He's your husband. He's one with you. He's together with you. He'll eat around the table. The communion table is a, is a, is a feast for the shamed. So that they can re re receive their shame-free revelation. One with him. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says the God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I bring you back. God pursued them out of the garden. God pursued them out of the garden. All he wants is for us to turn around and look face to face with him. The Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. It's a declaration of shame free. Numbers chapter 6. God is trying to get his people to say, you no longer have to carry shame. You no longer have to carry shame. You're one with me. Receive it. But you need to share it. And you need, to, you need to be vulnerable with it. And you need to receive the grace that is yours. And that grace, friends, because it is public, not isolated, it needs a public grace to be back, back from you. When I say public, I'm not meaning in a meeting like this. I'm talking about in small groups with others that you trust. I pray, Lord God, that you would set us free of shame. I pray, Lord God, I feel like we need to unpack this a little bit more because it is so profoundly, and there's so much to say. 
that we would be the holy ones because we've touched the holy one. I pray this morning, Lord God, you'd illuminate, you'd bring to mind, you'd reveal this thing. Where we feel naked, where we feel unclean, and where we feel outcast, rejected, I pray those things, Lord God, would fall in the name of Jesus as we get on the journey of dealing with shame. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys.